from the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am Peter Furler, and with me this week is King's Kaleidoscope, Daniel Wright. Is Peter Furler associated with King's Kaleidoscope? No. Josh Groban, oh, okay. Scott Reed. Yeah. And the Gaither vocal band, Bill Muffin Cow. Yes. <laughs> Gaither vocal band. You know, Gaither vocal band, uh, wow. Bill? They were big. Yeah. Yeah, back in the seventies, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a, a decent number of their songs. One of my friends in college was really into them, so he'd play them a lot in our room. If you like Lawrence Welk, you'll love Bill Gaither and the Vocal Band. <laughs> Lawrence Welk, yeah. <laughs> you ever heard of Lawrence Welk? <laughs> Never in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're young. <laughs> this is how much older people loved Lawrence Welk. When we were visiting Nancy's dad and stepmom. Lawrence Welk came on television. Now, it's a rerun because Lawrence Welk hasn't been on for like 50 years. Okay. So he makes a telephone call to his sister-in-law and says, Lawrence Welk is on TV, Channel 17. You, it's, it's, you, know, you got to stop what you're doing and watch. Okay. And they do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, Daniel, will you pray for us? Yeah. <clears throat> Dear Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for um, just how awesome you are, how um, you were able to, you chose to come down here um, in earth, to earth, um, and you went, you chose to go to the cross to take our sins. Mm-hmm. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for this truth and I pray that you help us to reflect on this in the next um, couple of weeks leading up to Easter. Uh, I pray that you'd be with our our listeners as well, and that everything that we say and do on this podcast would glorify and honor you. Mm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Um, listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather's trivia quizzes, uh, and I don't even know, suggestions for uh, topic of the week to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. Lexi sent in a couple different questions. Lexi, we're not going to get to your questions this week because I wanted to give everybody a, a week to be able to ruminate on them. Um, but thank you for sending those in. I'm excited to, to talk about them. As with Nita. Nita also. Uh, we'll get to those next week. This is episode 99. Next week uh, is episode... <laughs> 100. <laughs> we did it. We're old. Um, Scott, give us some would you rather's. Okay. <laughs> Scott's was, very depressed today. No, I just keep thinking about things, and then I what, me a second to respond. What did you think about this? This time, time I was thinking about when you said listeners. I, I don't know. Some of this new orientation just makes me more aware of the space we're in. Yeah. So listeners, if you want to be a part of the show, come to the Common Grounds at 3 p.m. on Wednesday <laughs> <laughs> and shout. Listeners, yeah. Get picked you, up by the microphone. If you want to be in our live studio audience for episode 100, come to the Common Grounds <laughs> on Wednesday at 3 p.m. <laughs> Someone's going to do it. Scott, give right. us some much rather. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna do. I haven't I haven't vetted these, so I hope they're okay. Perfect. Um, we're gonna do. Would you rather mix and match? Okay. Combined. Maybe this is how we did this in the past. I can't imagine. I'm pretty sure we have done this. But anyway, long story short, I'm gonna give you three options. Ooh. From three different questions, and you're gonna have to rate them. Okay. As the one you would most like to do, least like to do, and the middle one. Easy. All right, Max. Mm-hmm. Would you rather be attacked by a giant snake or always have the sun in your eyes while driving no matter where you go or be the circus person that the knife thrower throws knives at? 
Ah, <laughs> these are pretty good <laughs> these in terms are, of like these are equivalents. All, yeah, pretty equivalent. Uh, I'm going to start with the. I'm going to start with the giant snake. That's the one you would most want. Or I would want? most want the giant snake. Really? Yeah. Well, t- the bigger a snake is, the less venomous it is. I believe. I know that's true of scorpions. But I don't I'm think gonna, that's like a rule. <laughs> I'm going to choose. Scorpion. I do think the biggest snake. snakes are not venomous. Yeah, garden snakes are famously some of the most venomous in the world. A worm? It'll just, it'll just <laughs> kill you. Dead. <laughs> worm. Don't touch worms, kids. Uh, and um, I don't know. I think I, again, going back to the, the typical rule that we have, which is that only you know, if you only do it once. You know, you can get over it. Sure, I think, sure. ha- and then, and then after that, the circus person. Okay. Uh, I trust this knife thrower. He, he practices, um, mm-hmm. and as long as I never make him angry, you know. <laughs> uh, and yeah. then, uh, or and he then, doesn't get something in his eye. <laughs> well, he doesn't have the sun in his eyes while he's driving, which is the one I will put at least, because uh, I drive a lot, man, and I, I would hate to have the. I would basically have to stop. I would stop driving if I had the sun in my eyes whenever I drove. I'd be mm. pretty obnoxious. Yes. Seems like an inconvenience compared to life-threatening, but that's fine. I'd rather, hey, <laughs> I got nothing to fear. I got only to gain from death. <laughs> right, Bill? I suppose the sun in my eyes. <laughs> Lots to fear. The there. sun in your eyes, yes, will not get you closer to Jesus. It'll just annoy you. <laughs> um, the sun in Paul's eyes got him closer to Jesus. Mm. Ooh, mm. let's go. Oh, yeah. Is it S-U-N <clears throat> is or S-O-N? S-O-N? Oh, I've got the sun of God in my eyes whenever this, I drive. This is S-U-N, but I was I get behind the wheel and play. I see Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. All right, Daniel, would you rather have one eye in the middle of your forehead that has 20-20 vision mm. or need medical attention because you accidentally got a large marble stuck in your nose or have your picture be on the $1 bill? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I think first I would like to have my picture on the one dollar bill. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, good choice. Second, what was the first option again? Uh, one eye in the middle of your forehead with twenty twenty vision. That is the least. Whoa! I don't want that. Fair I already enough. have two eyes with twenty twenty vision. All right. I don't need a third eye. All right. And you'd only have one. Oh, I'd only have one. You'd I don't only be a, have one. Yeah, I don't want to be a cyclops. No, <laughs> that's the last option. So then the middle option is to have a marble stuck in my nose. That's a really <sighs> fun story to tell later uh, on, and it's a one-time thing. Yeah. Oof. And that makes sense. I like yeah. that. Good choices. Thank you. All right. Bill, would you rather have uncontrollable nightmares, but when you wake up, you have an accurate psychic prediction about the future? <laughs> okay. Or see someone else become famous because of something you inspired or be able to go forward in time on three different occasions in your life. Wow. Wow. Well, the thing I would like most is seeing somebody succeed because of something I did to help them. I I think that'd be really neat. Those um, psychic nightmares, they sound like prophetic dreams, so that would be pretty neat too. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I think... Man, that's vying for first. I I would like that. Wow. And then the third one was good, too. What was that one? Be able to go forward in time on three different occasions in your life. Yeah. Um. Okay, I'd still put that at the bottom because that's kind of (laughs) creepy. Well, especially because I don't know if you can return. You can just go forward. It doesn't say. say In a way, we're all traveling forward in time at all times. (laughs) What what about you, Scott? Nice. Would I rather be a pathetic wannabe (laughs) (laughs) 
or be given the luxury car of my choice and be pulled over and questioned once a week. Or never be able to make a right-hand turn while driving. (laughs) Um, I think I'm going to go with the luxury car at number one. Mm -hmm. um, Because I don't drive that often. Mm -hmm. So, like, it probably actually wouldn't happen once a week. Yeah. Because I I often... Is that true? No, I usually drive at least once a week. So I guess I would get pulled over once a week, but just factor it in for time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's number one. Then a pathetic wannabe. That one's so vague, it's hard to know, like, what the implications are. I think I would say never be able to make a right-hand turn while driving because, like, I could just, like, Leah could drive um, depending on... Or, you know, you could, especially around here on the grid system, you can you can usually work it out. Mm-hmm. Um, just got to get creative. Uh, and then pathetic wannabe at the bottom. Mm. <laughs> um, Bill, give me a number between one and a thousand and one. 713. 713. Oh, Any ooh. reason for that one? No. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, this comes to us from 1001 Things You Always Wanted to Know About the Bible But Never Thought to Ask by who, Daniel? J. Stephen Lang. J. Stephen Lang, your cousin. My cousin. That's right. Yeah. Uh, this this comes from the section of ideas, uh, ideas about male and female. Number 713, celibacy. This is like the longest one we've ever read. Huh. Well, buckle up. Number 713, celibacy. Singleness was a rarity in ancient Israel, and most men and women expected to marry and produce children. A change occurs with the New Testament, for Jesus himself was not, so far as we know, married, and Paul claimed he was unmarried, which does not rule out the possibility of his being widowed, uh, Paul's being widowed. We know that among the apostles, Peter was married in Matthew 8, 14, and in all likelihood, the other apostles also. Jesus made the statement, there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's wombs, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Uh, We can assume he was referring to the celibate state, not literal castration. Paul recommended celibacy, but recognized that it uh, was, quote, better to marry than to burn with passion in 1 Corinthians 7, 8 to 9. Paul condemned false teachers who were, quote, forbidden, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth in 1 Timothy 4, 3. Paul the celibate did not regard marriage as a bad thing. Regarding celibacy for ministers, Paul wrote regarding the qualifications for ministers and mentions them as being married in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, 6. The Catholic requirements for celibate clergy is not based on the Bible and was not put into effect until 305 AD. Even after that date, there were numerous exceptions. So there's a lot uh, to talk about here. Um, But first, uh, actually, Scott, would you be able to look up 1912, Matthew 1912 as well? For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Do you guys know what context he's speaking in? Yeah. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just sound like a yes or no question. (laughs) (laughs) He's just taught about marriage and divorce. Hmm. And at the end, the disciples say, this is a hard teaching. 
and he says, let those who can accept it, accept it. Yeah. And I guess that's why J. Stephen Lang says that he's referring to, to celibacy at that, at that point. Um, I guess my question is, you know, if marriage is meant to be a reflection of the relationship between God and, and the church, right? Between Jesus and the church, right? I'm not off base mm-hmm. there. So, uh, if, if marriage is meant to be that reflection, how can, how is God glorified through a celibate life for those who are not called to be married? Jesus glorified God and he wasn't married. And then Paul makes it clear in Corinthians that the person who is single can devote all their time and energy into the things of God. Mm. And the person who's married has to get really concerned about his wife, his family, and he's distracted Mm. from being full bore for Christ and the church. Mm. So... Jerry Kozu, the medical doctor that went to church here for many years, he pointed out single people really are the ones that take the church forward. Hmm. But, huh. And if you look at the Catholic church, that's definitely the case. The nuns are single. The priests are single. All those different monasteries, it's just all single people. The Protestant church, you look at us and it... We just seem to approach life of, well, if the Catholics are doing it, we want to do the opposite. So (laughs) you don't get on the shepherd's board unless you're married. Hmm. The only one that I know of that ever was on there as an unmarried person was Dr. Kozu. That's it. Oh. You know, in 40-some years here at the church. Yeah. So, and, and we're just typical Protestant church. It's not like, oh, wow, we're bad. It's No, that's just the way it is, hmm. which I find heartening to consider our church also has a deacon board and quite a few of those people are single, widowed, divorced. Mm-hmm. It's impressive. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I would say, well, this is true of both kinds of lifestyle that God is not inherently glorified in it. Um, mm. except for that, you know, he's glorified in his creation always. Um, but I don't, I don't think just like a single person, glorifies God, just like going about their day. I think that the opportunity for glorifying God there is that, okay, well, if marriage is is sort of symbolic of the relationship between God and his church, mm-hmm. then like the greater thing here is the relationship between God and his church versus the relationship between a husband and a wife. Because mm-hmm. um, this is like an image of that greater, more eternal truth. And mm-hmm. so if you're single, then you have more time, like Bill said, to um, to commit to God. And um, I know that there are, I, I don't remember where I read this, but um, yeah, I know that there are people who who kind of like take seriously this idea that like, um, like single, I, I read about a single woman who took really took seriously the idea that like God was her husband. Um, like not in the sense of like, like in a weird way, but like just really like, you know, God is, uh, will be to me all that I would need from a husband and more. Hmm. Um, and, and that, it was true and it was fulfilling in her life. So I think like, you know, it takes a single person committing themselves to, mm. uh, to God for him to be glorified uh, yeah. in, in their celibacy and their singleness. But I do think that, you know, there's that opportunity. And I think that opportunity exists for, for married people as well. But, but again, you know, to use the framework of the question, if marriage is like the image of God's relationship with his church, so yeah, okay, well, 
it's just that it's just that image. It's like the metaphor, it's the analogy, but that single person can kind of get to the 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 point of what that analogy is pointing to without mm. being married. Yeah. And maybe has more freedom to do so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Daniel? Yeah. Um, I think <clears throat> one thing that doesn't help this um, is in generally uh, like Christian college culture. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, what? what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, so there is this like feeling of like, that's the expectation. Um, and I'm reading a book right now and, um, it's kind of this, this journey of this, this girl, um, it's called gay girl, good God by Jackie Hill Perry. And she was like same sex attracted for, for a while. Um, but then she got to this point where she realized that God isn't calling her to be like, to be in a relationship with a man, God is first of all calling her to be in relationship with him. Hmm. Um, and as she like got to that point, she's like, that means I can't based on what the Bible says. I, I can't be in this relationship with my girlfriend. Hmm. So then like she went on the path of like kind of learning more about who God was. And I'm not at the end of the book yet, so I don't know how it turns out, (laughs) Um, but yeah, so that's kind of stuck with me, um, this fact that first first and foremost, we've been called to God. Mm. So, And that works with both people who are single and both people who are married. Mm. So, Yeah. Yeah, I think and that, that is for straight people as well as gay people, that first and foremost, we are called to God. Mm-hmm. That we can never make another person our God, right? We can never yeah. fill that, that God shaped hole in us with another person because people ultimately let us down. Um, yeah. And uh, as, as Paul says in, in Romans eight, I mean, the sinful nature is always opposed to God. It always has <clears> been <throat> and it, it always will be. And so when we make another person, a, a broken person, our God, nothing good will, will come out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard people talk before, um, and and I myself have had a pretty strong uh, emotional reaction to the idea of Jesus having a wife. Uh, that seems, uh, and even here, I kind of like bristled at the fact that that Mr. Lang says uh, Jesus himself was not married. Parentheses, so far as we know. Um, like I was kind of like, don't even suggest it. <laughs> but let me ask you this. If Jesus was married to a human person, what is the, uh, while he was on earth, what is the um, theological ramification for that? Um, Why, you know, uh, going from my assumption, why is it important that Jesus was celibate? What is the the implication of, of Jesus being married while on earth? I'm having a hard time believing that he is God in the flesh then Mm. because he's the creator. There's an infinite chasm between the creator and the created. Mm -hmm. It'd be even a greater stretch for Jesus to be married to a woman than for me to be married to a flea. It's Mm. just ridiculous. Mm. That's what really makes me bristle too, to have... J. Stephen Lang put in parentheses, 
as far as we know, I'm thinking, as far as we know, why would you even say that? That's yeah. that's just so mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah. I I would be interested to see if that um when he wrote that book, if it's around the time it's also like the Da Vinci code like mm-hmm. came out. Yeah. Um, because that's like what recently like in our in our like modern history like brought about more people like thinking about that. Because the Da Vinci code like pretty much puts up this this thought that the bloodline of Jesus has carried on. Right. One thing that's interesting is um, Hebrews um, 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Um, not saying that marriage is um, inherently sinful, Um I think it's the exact opposite, <laughs> but, but, um, this thought that also Paul's, Paul's view of marriage as well. Um, I just think it's very clear that Jesus wasn't, wasn't married. I don't know how exactly this plays in, but as we already talked about, you know, marriage is is used as a sort of an analogy of the relationship between God and his people. Um, and there's like some pretty explicit like instances in the scriptures where, I mean, like Revelation where it talks about the bride. Um, like it's really on the nose that like the mm-hmm. church and God's people are his bride and Jesus, of course, is God. And like, you know, the um, there's... A numerous instances in the Old Testament mm-hmm. where God refers to, you know, the adult or sorry, the idolatry of Israel as adultery, mm-hmm. um, and like Hosea is like a really powerful uh, book uh, with images about mm-hmm. about how his people, you know, who are like his bride, have been prostituting themselves with other gods. So I I just think, <clears throat> you know, in in a way, in like a weird way, like it would sort of be somewhat like adulterous for Jesus to be in a relationship with, Mm. with like a one human woman, because like, obviously it's like an analogy, but at the same time, like it's a very persistent and prevalent Mm. analogy that like God and and Jesus being God, like is wed to his people. Right. Um, Different kind of wedding, but like still there. So it Mm. it would definitely be, and then like, what does that mean for this woman? Um, Yeah how, like, why would Jesus choose one specific person? Mm. I mean, God chose Mary to be mm. Jesus' mother. He chose yeah. that specific person. So, like, you know, there's some level of, like, quote-unquote precedent of, like, God choosing one person to experience this mm-hmm. kind of really unique relationship with him. But I don't know. It just doesn't... It it would be yeah. it would be very odd. Yeah. Um, and it certainly would elevate this woman um, to, like, a... a, a uncertain status it does seem like the gospels would have mentioned it yeah yeah it's hard to kind of especially if they'll mention peter's wife (laughs) right i mean i I do think it's worth saying just you know for for jason like that i don't believe at any point does it explicitly tell us that he wasn't married and i think that's the only reason that he says as far as we know right Mm. i'm just to kind of like do his due diligence as like a scholar that like it's not Sure. It's not historically impossible. Right. Maybe it's theologically impossible, but yeah. um, historically, like we weren't we weren't told explicitly. Um, although looking at uh, what Jesus Himself says and what Paul says, it certainly seems very mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. Uh, yeah 
And it, it, makes, it makes sense too. Like marriage is supposed to be like a shadow of <clears throat> the real thing of God's relationship with his church. And Jesus is God. So there's no need for Jesus to participate in something that is a shadow when he's already participating in like the full reality. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think there's an important lesson in sort of this discussion about it is, is that, you know, uh, false or, or misleading claims about who Jesus is. Like we can't be afraid of them um, because like <laughs> refusing to, to answer a question um, like Jesus isn't afraid of questions. Um, and there are some questions that we won't get the answers to. Um, but I do think it's, it's a good exercise to be able to, ex- to think about like, well, you know, what would the implications be of Jesus having a, a wife and why would that not make sense or, uh, or what have you. And I think, um, for a long time, I kind of just wanted to not think about those questions and just kind of say like, look, if you're asking those questions, you clearly have, have malintent. Um, but people ask kind of crazy questions to Jesus sometimes to trap him and sometimes cause they were legitimate. Um, and, and mm. God abides in the truth as Bill Calvin would say. So, um, uh, Jay Stephen Lang, you're on thin ice, bub. Uh, <laughs> that book came out in 1999, by oh. the way. I don't know what its proximity mm. to the Da Vinci Code is, but that feels like the right era of human history. Um, let's get into topic of the week for topic of the week this week. Um, I want to talk about, uh, a subject that I think has a lot of practical application, um, which is, uh, this idea of habitual sins, um, of the sins in our lives that for one reason or another, um, we have a really hard time avoiding. I think the, the way, um, like it, uh, they affect each of us differently based on who we are and what they are. Um, in, in my life, I would say, um, the habitual sins or my relationship to them are like, I don't go looking for them, but when presented, uh, with the opportunity to lie, to further my position, like I have a hard time stopping myself. Mm -hmm. Um, like if it's a really quick little one liner in a conversation, um, I have a really hard time not just blurting it out. Like I'm not looking for an opportunity to lie to someone, but I just, Mm -hmm. if it shows up, I won't stop myself, which... Um, you know, is, is definitely, a uh, you know, showed up even on Saturday night. Um, listeners may remember I was very stressed last week cause we had an alumni event, uh, on, on Saturday night. I don't remember what I said, but it was something as stupid as somebody asking me how many clients I had. And I boosted the number by like one for no reason, like for no personal gain other than <clears throat> to feel like I was more impressive. And, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, habitual sins really range from, um, all over the, the, the sin spectrum, so to speak. Um, I think some of the most famous ones are in the, the sexual department. Um, but I think in, in terms of our heart posture, in terms of our materialism, in terms of our, you know, uh, chasing after the opinions of other people, I mean, they, uh, as we read in Romans eight, like, mm-hmm. you know, if we're controlled by the sinful nature, then we think about, uh, sinful things. And even if that's just for like, you know, 20 minutes on a Friday afternoon, um, you know, it can really derail our, our, our thoughts, um, and, and lead us kind of down rabbit holes and logical chains that, um, get burned into our brains, right? Get, uh, one thing when I I started going to counseling that, that I talked about a lot was trying to build new sort of neural pathways that my mind would naturally go down when it came to 
you know, all kinds of self-image things, all kinds of sin things. Um, so just to, to kind of start us off, I, I would love to hear your opinion on where habitual sins sort of come from, why certain things tend to stick to us as individuals versus others, um, why I don't, I don't really have a problem. I don't have like a, a theft problem <laughs> very much in my life. The only person I've really stolen from is Scott, and that's stealing the chocolates out of your <laughs> guest bowl every time I sleep over. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, um, not stealing. No, if it's a guest bowl and you're sleeping over, <laughs> you gotta, you those to, are your chocolates. You have to throw a moldy one in there. <laughs> that that throw that a bad works. Celery stuck in there, <laughs> and some pizza or some moldy pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> that did happen once. Uh, I did. St- I did. I did. I stole food from you. Maybe I'm, I have a food stealing problem. Um, all right. Where? Do, enough about Max. Where do habitual sins come from? This is not an interview. Intervention. <laughs> Self-imposed. Intervention. I know I've never stolen food from Bill. Hmm. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, where do they come from? Book of James would say they come from our evil desires. They're coming from within. Mm-hmm. This is an inside job. <laughs> uh, and we were born with this. Mm-hmm. It's in our DNA. And it's easy to believe this stuff when you read Mm -hmm. Romans and talking about Adam and his sin and passed on to us. It's like, yep, this is a good explanation of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the one lesson in original sin that always sticks out to me is this past summer I was helping running games for the for the kids. (laughs) (laughs) So like, we see that like we're born with sin. Hmm. What uh, what sins did the kids commit while <laughs> while oh. <laughs> rebellion? <laughs> um, certainly not listening to their parents. Um, cheating. I'm also guilty of that one. Hmm. Not listening to my parents. Hmm. Cheating. Pride. Hmm. Unbelief. Uh-huh. Rage. <laughs> Rage. Scott, what do you think? Um. But, well, I I feel like Bill hit the nose hit the hit, hit on the whatever the, hit the nose with a hammer. <laughs> he hit my nose right with a hammer. And I need to talk to him about it. Um, he hit it on the head when he talked about where it came from. But you know, I think why why do people have different habitual sins? I think it. I think there's a lot of contributing factors. I think it's fairly rare, not. Never, but pretty rare, I think, where someone does something sinful and, by extension, evil, because that's what sin is, yeah. mm-hmm. um, because they desire to do something evil. Um, it's usually because they have another desire that they're trying to to meet, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's, you know, for security or, you know, feeling important or, mm-hmm. you know, meeting a felt need, something like that. It's usually more of... of where it, um, the motivation stems from, I think, a lot of the time. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that can really just differ from person to person and mm-hmm. what you feel, you know, mm-hmm. what, what needs you feel. You know, some people will be really insecure and mm-hmm. have, you know, uh, feel the need to put other people down or lash out in anger or, you know, puff themselves up. Um, because of that, other people might feel, you know, uh, 
well, I guess a lot of it probably stems from from different kinds of insecurity. But you know, people might be greedy because they, you know, they either again they maybe they want to feel important and have a lot of money, or maybe they maybe they're afraid of not having enough, and so they they hoard. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then also, I think kind of by extension, another sort of coloring of it is what do you, what can you convince yourself is harmless? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like mm-hmm. going back to the idea of like stealing food, like probably. <laughs> Um, none of us would steal something that we thought was harmful, Mm. you know, like, oh, me taking this person's TV is pretty harmful, you know, that's Mm -hmm. expensive. But if it was like, well, they're not going to miss this, like, you know, this handful of wheat thins. Right, exactly. Which (laughs) like, they probably won't, but does that make it different? Mm -hmm. Maybe on some levels, but maybe not on other levels. So it's like, what can we can, what, what's the motivation and what can we convince ourselves is okay? Yeah. Because I think a lot Mm -hmm. of times, like if we're not directly harming people or sometimes even if we are directly harming people, we can convince it. So we can convince ourselves it's okay for different Mm -hmm. reasons. Um, And so those, you know, personality, uh, upbringing, background, situation, uh, relationships, all of these different things, I think can impact the kinds of sins that we're more susceptible to. Mm -hmm. Really quick, Daniel, while you're looking up whatever it is yeah. you're looking up, if I'm a listener and I, you know, uh, how do we identify habitual sins? Like, what is a, is there a prescription for saying, okay, if you're, you know, if you're wondering if something is a habitual sin, um, like, how, how can I identify those in my life? Um, beyond like the the super obvious ones, like, you know, yes, I have a history of stealing people's family photos or, um, you know, or, or, or what have you. I'll tell you how I know it. When we confess our sins prior to taking communion, if that list is the same as it was the month before and the month Mm -hmm. before that, and the month before that, you, you got to admit to yourself, yeah, this this is a habitual sin. Mm. Yeah. And you're embarrassed about it. It's like, okay, here we go for the 1,000th time. I'm asking you for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is why I love Regen, because I feel like Regen has helped me more in my Christian life with this than anything else I can put my finger on. Mm. It is really great. Mm. And, and so the way I characterize Regen is it is obedience-based Christianity versus knowledge-based Christianity. Mm -hmm. Mm. And all my life, I grew up with really the mistaken notion of if I can just be more knowledgeable, know Mm -hmm. the Word better, know God better, know Mm -hmm. the theology of this better, I will become a better Christian. Mm And it's embarrassing to say, yes, here I am at the age of 69. No, that's really not the answer. Mm -hmm. And one way that I think all of us who've gone to a Christian college can see that it's not the answer is there are professors who are really the top people in their field for Greek, Hebrew, Mm -hmm. Bible. And yet we can see their flaws so readily Mm -hmm. that... Sometimes it's one of the most common ones is just arrogance mm-hmm. that you've got to do it this way. This is the only way to know the Bible. You think, yeah, but you're so dead mm-hmm. spiritually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you can recite this stuff in Greek, but yeah. I don't want to be like you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But that trickles down all the way through the whole church. You know, the, mm -hmm. the pastors, yes. The staff people, yes. How about the elders? Yes, yes. How, and you go all the way down to the bottom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got to get all the way into like the preschool class before you see a mm -hmm. lot of innocence and you say, all right, maybe not them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think one thing that comes to like the thought of sin is we, we naturally like distinguish sins and say, oh, this sin is the big sin. This mm -hmm. is a big sin. Mm -hmm. And I have like smaller sins along the road yeah. and pathway. But I've been reading a book for ordination called um, Broken Windows of the Soul. Mm. And it's been like really eye-opening to seeing like it's kind of like the broken windows policy for like start. I think this started with like the NYPD where if there was broken windows in this apartment and if those weren't taken care of, then that would show other people like, oh, this broken window doesn't care. I can throw a rock too mm -hmm. to break another window. Yeah. And then just like magnifies to then like seeing like really huge crimes being committed. So there is a working theory that if you start fixing the broken windows and then like penalizing those who break the windows, then it takes it gets better. Mm. So we have all these like little sins that we're like, oh yeah, I do that. Uh, but like we're sinful, so I'm going to sin. And um, those are, those are the broken windows, the mm. smaller things that mm. um, even like habitually lying. Um, that's something that I've struggled with. Like, just like mm. quick white lies. I'm like, ah, oh, it's a white lie. Yeah. Mm. How much harm is that going to cause? Mm. But then like, that like ramps up into can ramp up into something bigger and larger. Yeah. And I think we've seen that play out in different churches as well of like small sins going unaddressed leaving to like real broken, like people or broken people making others people more broken. Mm. Mm. So it's like some thoughts that come to mind with like sin and like, how like silly it is to think that just because we're sinful, those small sins are like, huh? Huh? Yeah. But yeah. There's a question still how we can identify habitual sins. Mm -hmm. I, I guess my question is, or like the way I'm, I'm kind of mulling it over is, um, what is it, what is it going to benefit you to identify a sin in your life as habitual? If you identify a sin in your life at all, hmm. cut it out. Okay. Not like, not like stop, but like <laughs> cut it out, scoop it out of your life yeah. and yeah. get rid of it. You know, if it's habitual, you know, I guess, I guess the benefit is being aware of, of your areas of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I don't know. I guess I, I wouldn't say, don't worry about finding, you know, the, or I would say rather, don't worry too much about figuring out what your habitual sins are. Just, when you sin, acknowledge it <laughs> and, and repent. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess, you know, we, we talked a lot about this, the, we kind of become numb to certain smaller sins. Mm -hmm. I don't know, just ask yourself, like, have I ever lied at all about anything? Mm. Okay. <laughs> that was a sin. Okay, cool, cool. Like, have I ever taken anything, anything that didn't belong to me? 
including information from my neighbor's exam in fifth grade. Okay, that was a sin. That have I ever, you know, and just like really, just like, have I ever done this at all? Not just like, did I ever do this in a way that was really, no. Have you ever done it at all? Like, you know what the Bible says. Or if you don't, like, go read the Ten Commandments and read the Sermon on the Mount. Like, read it and be like, have I ever done this ever mm. in any way, big or small? Mm. And if you have, then like, okay, well, that sin is a problem in your life mm. uh, yeah. in some way. At some point in your life, you were willing to sin to get what you wanted mm. in this way. Um, is it habitual? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe just coming to that realization of like, oh, yeah, you know, actually, I have lied. In fact, I lie quite a lot mm. um, in these little ways. Like, that might be a habitual sin. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's not habitual, but you still did it. Um, Maybe it could become habitual. Maybe you did it today for the first time in a long time. Mm. I don't know. I guess my point is just sin is sin, and yeah. don't don't let yourself off the hook, yeah. and don't don't search for habitual sins at the expense of acknowledging the sins that are one off. For sure. Mm. How have you guys in your personal lives and in your ministries seen healing come from come? four sins, I guess, right? How have you seen mm-hmm. people be healed of um, big and little habitual and one-off sins um, and make that transition as we read in, in Romans 8 from, mm-hmm. you know, uh, commitment and control by the sinful nature to control by the Holy Spirit? Well, I, I wouldn't say that we're like far enough into the process that this like is definitely, you know, complete healing, but... Um, in the Friday and Saturday morning discipleship groups, the young men groups, um, young men's groups, um, since the beginning, which was probably in September or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we all have things that we want to be accountable to, to the group and they're different for each person. But, um, I remember at the, after the first like week or mm-hmm. maybe the second week, like a couple guys had not done great on their accountability. And I remember I was talking to you, Max, about like, I'm not sure what to do about that. Like, how, how do you, how do you respond to someone in like a group setting when they're, you know, they slipped up on their accountability? Mm-hmm. How harsh do you be? How understanding do you be? I, I don't know. And I guess in some ways I still don't know. But what I have seen is without really coming to a good conclusion of like, do I need to do something in any way punitive? Or do I just say like, okay, you know, thank you for letting you know, anywhere on that scale. Like what, without ever kind of coming to a decision on that, I, the 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 regular the routine of accountability has has produced i think a greater awareness in them of the times that they do the things that they don't want to do mm-hmm. uh, as well as progress um some for some of them in particular I, real progress where it sounds like you know we go from from weeks where they you know a good week was only doing whatever the thing was you know two times or three times to like now a good week is not doing it at all mm-hmm. um so so there's an example. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I've always been around alcoholics. Mm. By always, I mean since starting a church in Long Grove. And I, I don't know why that is, because I've never drank. I don't have any interest in it. Never did drugs. Don't have any interest in it. And yet, these people were coming to the church, and they, they really formed a not a majority, but a serious plurality. There were a lot of them <laughs> because they were bringing one another. And a lot of the reason why they were bringing them is because they found so much hope in the church that mm. you don't have to wallow in this. So it was exciting to see them 
get off of drugs, quit mm -hmm. drinking, see their lives go from living, you couldn't even say day to day. It was almost morning to afternoon, afternoon to evening, evening mm -hmm. to night. Woke up the next morning, I'm alive. Mm -hmm. Which sounds really brutal, and yet at the same time, it's inspiring. Mm -hmm. I, I remember walking through the lobby of the church one day, and I heard a guy say, yeah, I'm so thankful just to be alive today. You think, mm -hmm. all right, I, I need to be thankful like that too. I mean, that, that's yeah. a good lesson. And, and it was one of these people that all he had to show for his life was the T-shirt he was wearing and, you know, he got a ride to church and he probably slept on somebody's couch. He had nothing left in his life. But seeing that, it took me a long time. I'm not in a fast learner's group. It took me a long time to realize these people that go to AA, they're on to something. Mm -hmm. They are really on to something. And what is it? And, and part of it is that accountability factor that is blazoned in James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Mm. And I was always looking at that in terms of physical healing. Right. And it took me too many years mm. to realize this is really, really a lot about being healed spiritually, mm -hmm. being healed from the inside out. And now I get to see it through Regen. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned something earlier on that there's an underlying reason why we sin. Yeah. And that's what Regen has also brought to the table for me. I, mm -hmm. I really was not somebody particularly self-aware. In fact, on a scale of one to a hundred, self-awareness being a hundred, I was probably in like the two, three range, you know? <laughs> Just, and and, and I, now that I'm living with my father, he's, he's in our home this last year, I can see why. Because those depression era people were not self-aware. Mm. Life was so hard, mm. you did not sit around trying to get in touch with why you are the way you are. Mm. You, yeah. you were simply trying to eat. Right. go to work the next day, oh. and you carved out a life, in his case, a really good life, but you did it in part because you just put on a pair of blinders and pushed forward. Yeah. And, and so that rubbed off on the baby boomers. Not all baby boomers, but this baby boomer it did. And, and now I'm in the regen, and you're asked questions that cause you to say, huh, mm. I never really noticed this before, but mm. the, the baseline sin here is, I'll tell you one that's common for not just me, but the people around my table, selfishness. Mm -hmm. It's selfishness that led to this. Mm. Huh. So, so that really helps you to, to feel like, all right, I'm not just getting blindsided by all this stuff. And then if I see selfishness cropping up, it's like, okay, now really have your spider sense tingling. What is around the corner here? What, mm -hmm. why, why do these two things go together so well? Mm -hmm. Selfishness and this sin. <clears throat> I, I'm really thankful for Regen. Mm -hmm. A lot of 
great stuff, obedience-based Christianity. I, I hope our church sees Regen prosper. Right, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. amen. Um, in Sky Jatani's book, What If Jesus Was Serious, he uh, has this line where he says, our, our unsurrendered life easily falls victim to the fears of the world, and we will strive to secure our own daily bread. A hurried, fearful, selfish life fueled by a false vision of God will inevitably lead to sin and the need for forgiveness. Um, and that reminds me a lot of what you're saying, Bill, in terms of sort of a, a core sense of, of self-survival, I guess, or a core sense of, like, I need to go and um, make for myself like this idea of being self-reliant, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is in and of itself, like kind of, uh, um, an illusion, right? Self-reliance ultimately, like we can't stop being reliant on God. Nothing that's made of matter can stop relying on God. He's right. what holds us together. So, right. um, and yet when, you know, you see it, a hundred times in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament of whenever people or a nation or whoever decides, you know, I know what God wants for me and I'm going to get it myself, or I know what I want for me and I'm going to get it for myself. Um, like it always comes with compromise. It always comes with corner cutting. And even if it doesn't, it leads to sin because um, it leads to pride and it leads to selfishness. And, mm -hmm. um, and I think, to that end, um, if, if you guys have any have any thoughts on it, um, I would love to hear about how we can submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, how we can sort of surrender our lives um, to God when it comes to realizing that you know sin doesn't have to be a, a core part of me, but it does, but it is a core part of me because. I am, there's something I'm not letting go of, right? There's a mm -hmm. control over some aspect of my life that I am refusing to fully, you know, open my hand and let God take away from me. Um, how can we release who we are? How can we release our lives to, to the Holy Spirit? Bill? Oh, sorry. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, no, I'm anxious to answer this question because... I, I see it as two sides on the fulcrum. The one is the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit is powerful. He is Almighty God, and He was sent by Jesus Christ to indwell and even fill my life mm. with power. Right. And that power includes the power over sin. In mm. First John, it says Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Right. And I just put a little nick into them, destroy them. To put to death the sinful nature by the Holy Spirit. So you've got this powerful Holy Spirit inside of you as a Christian, and that makes it a true fight with Satan. Otherwise, without him, it's not even a fight. Right. Because you're on his side anyway. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I really do enjoy this sin. It makes me feel alive. <laughs> Why would I want to stop? Right. The only reason I want to stop is because, well, I get caught and the police throw me in jail. I mean, that that is really <laughs> about all that's restraining some people. Yeah. Whoever the police are in your life. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about real police, you know, with badges. And I'm, I'm coming from a place right. where there's some people doing crazy stuff that <laughs> if the police just sat in front of their house, they'd have business all day long, every day. So 
there's that side of the fulcrum, the power of the Holy Spirit. But on the other, I don't think that power is really released unless they confess their sins to one another. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a side that evangelical Christianity has shied away from. Right. In fact, honestly, we've shied away from both. You don't hear evangelicals talk about the Holy Spirit enough. And we don't talk about confession enough. Mm. So no wonder we're having troubles with sin. We're, we're not taking <laughs> mm. care of the two, the left hook and the right right uh, jab. We're, mm-hmm. We don't have either one of them going for us. Yeah. But we should because we do believe in the scriptures. We do believe in God. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm indebted to Regen and the scriptures. I've also noticed that binging on the scriptures has a lot to do with making good change in my life. Mm. It's just, it's miraculous. You get Mm -hmm. binging in it and it does, there's a phrase in the Bible, being washed by the word. You really are getting washed by the word. Your brain's getting washed Mm -hmm. out. You're having a a soul cleanse. Um, It's, it's got me excited about the Christian life, that mm-hmm. there's real hope for people. Yeah. That's why I like it that this man showed up at church recently, and he just said, this church saved my life. Well, what's, what's he doing? Well, he's coming on Saturday, and he goes to Recovery Through Christ, and he goes to Regen, and he goes to Alpha, and he's got people calling him. He's, well, yeah, that'll make a big change in your life. It doesn't have to be just AA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Scott? Um. I was going to say, it's difficult to put a finger on how you do this. I remember once I was in, in the car with Bill, I think we were probably going visiting, and I asked him, how, what do you do when doing things is the problem? <laughs> um, what, what step can you take when, when you're so caught up in... in the things that you can do for yourself. Yeah. You know, like if, if you're putting too much stock in reading the Bible, like this is the thing that if I do this, then I'm a good Christian or right. you know, going to church or even you know, whatever, mm-hmm. all these things are really good and important. But like, if that's what you think it is, like, what can you do to anyway? So it's like, a, it's a little bit of like a, not necessarily an oxymoron, but like there's tension. Yeah. But I think like at every stage, you just need to remember that like you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's like Bill's message from a couple of weeks ago. You can't do anything. Thing, uh-huh. uh, to inherit eternal life. And so like oftentimes, even when we, I, I remember this, I experienced this in my own life, even though we know like that we can't really overcome temptation on our own, like we still kind of try and, and we hope that if we just like resist hard enough that maybe it'll be better. And, um, and that's assuming we care enough to resist at all. Um, but I would say just like at, at each, at each stage, ask the Holy Spirit for the power to do it. So maybe you don't even want to stop doing it, but you know it's wrong. Ask the Holy Spirit to create in you a desire to stop. Mm. Um, maybe you feel like you don't have the willpower. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the willpower. Maybe you feel like you don't have the circumstances. Ask the Holy Spirit to put you in different circumstances. Maybe you don't feel like you have the support structure. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the support structure. Like, just just keep giving it to Him and inviting Him in, because uh, He's going to be able to do a lot, a lot more than you're ever going to be able to do. Mm. Um, so if you feel like, you know, like I've been trying and trying and trying to, you know, to kick this sin in my life and it's just not working. Well, there you go. You've been trying and trying and trying and mm-hmm. you are not going to succeed, but the Holy spirit will, um, yep. he will win. 
Uh, and if you surrender that to him and invite mm-hmm. him in and say like, you know, I can't do this on my own. And I, I just, I need you to win this victory for me. Um, you know, and not in the sense that then we were just like, all right, now sit back and relax and, you know, <laughs> you'll take care of it. Yeah. But, you know, we, we still obviously need to, we can't just like do the sin and be like, what the heck, Holy Spirit? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah. you know. I waited five seconds. <laughs> but surrendering that, you know, again, surrendering every part of it to him and asking mm-hmm. him for, for, the, for the faith, for the desire, for the strength. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's really the only hope. Amen. Amen. And. I'm glad to hear you say that, Scott. I read a book called Overcoming Temptation by Bruce Wilkinson. Mm-hmm. He was the president of Walk Through the Bible for many years. And in this little book, he said, in his experience, when he calls upon the Holy Spirit to help him with temptation, the Holy Spirit comes usually within two minutes. Mm. But it's very rare that it takes longer than that, you think. Really? Two minutes? And and I'm not even saying, oh, that's my experience. I I, want to share another testimony. It's not mine, but Ray Anderson was going through a real hard time about a year and a half, two years ago, because a man stole his YouTube channel. Right. And this was driving Ray crazy. And Ray took the man to court in order to recover his YouTube channel. But the problem was... All he could think about was this man. He was living in his head and not paying any rent. Mm -hmm. And it was really keeping Ray awake at night. He could not sleep. He could only sleep about an hour a night. And what he did really testifies to me. He got out of bed and he would read the Bible. And he said, I read the Bible through from cover to cover in one month. Mm -hmm. One month, it still didn't go away. He read the Bible through from cover to cover in a second month. And he did it again a third time. So he's tired because he's not getting any sleep. Right. This guy is still fighting him as of the time frame of a year and a half, two years ago. But that Bible binging is what got Ray through. It, it, it shows the power of the Word of God and the Spirit mm. of God causing Ray to do something healthy and, and binge on the Bible. And, and then he started settling down. Mm. He, he had to get to the place where he could forgive the man and have it sink clear into his spirit that I've really forgiven the man. And this is how he describes it to me. He says, if he walks in the room, I won't kill him. I used to say, I think I'll kill him if he comes in the room, but now I don't. In fact, I know if he walked in the room, I would not kill him. Mm -hmm. Wow. And now I'm sure he's to the place where he wouldn't, you know, hit the guy, wouldn't confront the man. He's done with it. Mm -hmm. But but that's how intense it is for all of us, not just Mm -hmm. Ray. It gets real intense for all of us. I think all of us know what it's like to have a a night where we can't sleep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But but are we going to do what Ray did, or or are we just going to lie there and, you know, think about a million different things, and and here's God watching us Mm -hmm. saying, you know, you do pray to me, I'll help you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You've got a Bible right over there. Open it up. Binge on it for a while. 
you know, we're willing to go binge on TV shows all night. Mm -hmm. It just, it's, it's almost miraculous how stupid we are <laughs> as Christians. Mm. And ultimately, I mean, you know, to kind of combine what the two of you have said already is like, ultimately, you know, we can make the, the choice, but it's ultimately the spirit's power, right? Like we can make mm -hmm. the choice to, to read the Bible. We can make the choice to try and forgive, mm -hmm. but it's the Holy spirit that makes it, makes it possible for us to be healed. Right. That makes it, makes us able to, to be healed by the word, to be healed by him himself, you know? On Moody Radio right now, the morning person, Carl Clausen, is talking about spiritual disciplines. And I think he'd be happy with this uh, analogy that one of the problems Christians have is we are just so flabby. Hmm. We, we get upset about something. It's usually not a sin. It's usually a sin against us. And instead of being spiritually disciplined and doing the fundamentals of worshiping, praying, reading the scriptures, memorizing, meditating, mm -hmm. fasting, having silence, slowing down, whoa, instead of doing any of those things, no, 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 we're still eating chips, drinking milkshakes, spiritually speaking, mm -hmm. we're worshiping, well, we go 1.4 times a month, what else do you need out of me? Read the Bible. I saw a verse the other day. It was on the back of this guy's bumper. You know? I was blessed. Okay. That, that's all you got. And then you compare it to what we do physically. I'll just use myself. When you train for a marathon, you're looking at generally two hours a day as your average for seven days a week. And one day a week is four hours. And you think... All right, we're willing to do that at the physical side, mm -hmm. but if somebody does it on the spiritual side and gets disciplined and really starts knowing the scriptures and really starts learning how to pray, we look at them as some kind of nut fanatic. You know? <laughs> we never say that about the physical world. We just right. look, wow, look how great they're, man, they don't have any fat on them. They're, I mean, they're just really, really in great condition. They're always healthy. We just think, man, you... You the person, you way to go. But somebody gets like that spiritually, and we just think, "Wow, they're like the yeah. Christian answer to Gandhi." What, what is this? Yeah. We need to start holding up those people and saying, "Hey, what's wrong with being like Billy Graham? Mm. You know, mm -hmm. what's wrong with being like Mother Teresa?" Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why aren't there lots of us like Mother Teresa and Billy Graham? Mm. Daniel, I was just like thinking about the like. So last night we for our Bible study we read, or uh, our Lent like Bible study that we're doing we read through a hymn, um, and it, the name of it is Ah Holy Jesus How Hast Thou Offended, um, and overall basically what it is it's. It's helping us confront our sin. Mm. Um, the process of who is guilty, who brought this upon thee? Mm. Alas, my treason, Jesus, hath undone thee. Mm. So mm. it's like we don't take, my guess is part of that answer is we don't take enough time to really like think about the sins that we have committed. Yeah. And we brush it off. Um, I... 
think there are different ways that we, we can think about our sin and like through um, through worship and like songs or hymns or prayers that's been written. I think the best way though is to read the Bible, mm. um, finding those those moments in the in the scriptures where it like causes you to confront your sin. Yeah. Um, and I know that that's been it's like the, the thought of like um, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Life in, life out. Um, it's like if if we're just continuing to put garbage into our brains, continuing to um, do activities that have little like impact yeah. um, for the kingdom, then we're going to continue on that path. And I think spending the t- spending time like in scripture is is huge. Actually praying. Because that's something that's kind of like washed, washed away of like, ah, it's just praying, like saying some words, um, but actually like taking the time to like pray and like sitting in silence and listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think those were just a couple of things that came to mind um, as I was listening. So. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, final thoughts before we... Uh... Move into our second topic of the week. No, final, <laughs> final, final thoughts uh, on um, habitual sins and, and more importantly on releasing our lives to the Holy Spirit. I brought a quote Please. from a book. That book I mentioned earlier, "Gay Girl, Good God." Um, is she starts context wise? It's like talking about. Um, self-righteousness and how we allow that to creep in when we think this is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where we think, Oh, we have this one big sin and like we're sinful. So I have this big sin. If God were to help deal with this big sin, then everything would be fine. Mm. It's kind of like a self-righteousness of thinking you only have that, that one sin. So she says, but I, unbeknownst to me, had been swayed by the same leaven of, un, of self-righteousness. If only I could just be, um, so she's gay at this point. So if only I could be just straight and lay aside my homosexuality, God would accept me and call me his own. I used to think this delusion was the belief that only one aspect of my life was worthy, was worthy of judgment while the rest deserved heaven that my other vices were not as bad. They were just struggles that I had to work on instead of repenting. Mm. And I think that like just goes to this idea that self-righteousness creeps in um, when we, when it comes to sin and we need to like taking that, taking that time to really like remember that we have sinned and that, um, God's judgment is something that's not, it's not limited to just your habitual sins. It's not limited to just like the big sin that you have committed or um, even just the small things. It's all of it. Um, And knowing that even though there's all those different types of sin, that we still have access, access to, to heaven because Jesus bore all those sins on the cross for us mm. and conquered it. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah. Amen. Listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather's, trivia quizzes, and quotes from the books you're reading to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. Uh, that is all the time that we have this week. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to say the order in which you're sitting. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Thank Max. You, Max. Feels wrong, and I hate it. It is wrong. <laughs> should never do that again. <laughs> Bill, since you weren't here last week, uh, will you take us home? You have been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. Speaking of wannabes, uh, the song "The Spice Girls" or the song "Wannabe" by the Spice Girls uh, was was recently blasted into my ears. I don't know if you guys are familiar or, or play very much of the game Wordle. Uh, it's now mm. owned by the New York Times. Uh, Daniel, are you familiar with Wordle? I am. It's a word guessing game. Bill, are you familiar with Wordle? I, I just read an article about it that somehow Wordle saved somebody's life. So. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> it was because they they were just so exacting in what they did each day and, and they didn't hear from I'll just say their dad because oh and it turns out he was passed out on the bathroom floor it was one of those kind of stories. yeah I heard about that where somebody didn't like they had swapped wordle answers every day and yeah and didn't hear from her and so it was like yeah um, so a lot of like spinoffs or, or sort of, uh, uh, new twists on it have cropped up all over the internet. There's Samantle, which is like thousands of scanned articles for context of words. And so it's like how, you know, you're looking for a word and it rates how similarly the word you suggested is and how, how often it shows up with the actual target word. And so that's yeah. how you get closer. One I had never heard of before is called hurdle. Uh, which mm-hmm. is all about you listen to the first second of a song and then you guess <laughs> what it is and then the first two seconds, first three seconds. I didn't know this. Uh, the song Wannabe by the Spice Girls starts with like five seconds of like some very quiet clapping and then somebody like giggling and then just, <laughs> oh, tell me what you So I like <laughs> am like cranking my volume up <laughs> trying to hear like this clapping and giggling. Like what is this? And then just out of the blue, well, I'll tell you. What I want, whatever, and it, uh, it knocked me out of my chair. So, uh, <laughs> listeners, be advised do not fall for that trap like I did. Hey, Scott's seat. Yeah, yeah. Daniel's tired of everybody sitting in the same seats, he All says. Right. Says, and I I'm quote, tired that's, of this grandpa. that's for old people, and I hate old people. <laughs> for the record, I did say that. <laughs> wow. I better better I, hope we don't have old listeners. <laughs> for the record, for the record, I really didn't say that. Nah, I won't include that part. Uh, let's do a mic check. Um, can we say, uh, say what you ate for lunch today? Deli meat. <laughs> so much deli meat. You always go that way. Well, you're sitting over here now. <laughs> um, Everything. Peanut butter and celery.
Ooh, Bill and pizza. I didn't have lunch today. <laughs> had breakfast, but no lunch. <laughs> you had peanut butter, celery, <laughs> and, peanut butter pizza. and pizza. <laughs> and we, pizza. We had a, wow. a slice at um, Marquardt Middle School. Whenever oh, we go to help out, sure. they feed us pizza. Nice. So good for you. Hmm. Did you end up? This wasn't the box lunch thing that Chelsea needed, was it? No, it's something else. Yeah. Great. Uh, I'm sorry, you didn't have lunch, Bill. Right. And Scott, I had a smoothie. Wow. Hmm. Well, that was way too long of a sound check. So let's just say it always is. It always is. Let's say light bulb. Light bulb. Light bulb. Light bulb. Light bulb. I was trying to remember what. What's my motivation? (laughs) What the thing was from last week? What's my motivation? Cookies and cream. Cookies and cream. It's a throwback for you listeners. All right, one sec.